We are uh, going back into our series in Mark. So if you've got a Bible, um, you want to turn to Mark chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, there are a bunch on the back table. Uh, feel free to help yourself. You probably want one of the blue ones back there, uh, the ESV. That's what I'm going to be reading from. And um, so you can grab one of those. You're welcome to take that home. Um, So here in this passage, you remember we've been talking about the, the ministry of Jesus, some of the ways that he, uh, the things that he was doing as he was moving around to uh, different locations. And um, so I've got the map up here because you remember that, now this was going back into November, maybe even in October, Jesus made a move out of the area of the Sea of Galilee where he was spending most of his ministry time and his recorded by Mark, um, around the, the Sea of Galilee. He took a trip up into Tyre and then Sidon, and then eventually coming around down through here into the Decapolis area. And I put this particular map up because it kind of shows, one of the things that, that, that it, it shows is the areas that were predominantly Jewish in green on the map. And so most of Jesus' early ministry that we've been looking at has been happening here in this area where Jesus was interacting with Jewish people predominantly. Uh, but then this trip took Jesus outside of the Jewish area into, um, into regions that were predominantly Gentile, uh, people that had uh, uh, no connection with, with the, the Jewish faith. Um, and that's even up here into Tyre and Sidon, if you're familiar with Old Testament prophecies and stuff, these were some of the places that um, that uh, 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 tormented the Jewish people, the the, the uh, people of Israel over the years, and so they were quite uh, um, what's the word opposition. Jewish people didn't like those folks very much. Let's leave it at that. Antagonistic. Good word, Gary. Thank you. So, so Jesus' ministry into this area is very unique. Because even Jesus had said that, that his main ministry was to the, the people of, uh, of the Israel nation, the, the Jewish people. Um, but here in this, in this part of his ministry and what Mark has recorded for us, it's very unique that Jesus is now reaching outside those Jewish bounds and, and interacting with people who are not of a Jewish faith. And one of the things that we've discovered all of this is that, that, that Jesus is reaching out. He is, is sending out his ministry and his opportunity for salvation, not just for the Jewish people, but for all nations. And that's what we're going to discover today, this account that we have of Jesus feeding 4,000 um, in, in um, uh, Mark chapter 8, is a further and, and probably the, the completion of Jesus' declaration that, that His message of hope, His message of new life, is for all people, for all the world, all of the nations, not just uh, the people of Jewish heritage, and um, so it's uh, th that's that's where we're at now. You'll remember 
we've come across the Decapolis before. Who remembers what, what happened in the Decapolis region in the ministry of Jesus previously? Um, anybody remember what, uh, what particular event? Anybody at all? Yeah, the pigs. When Jesus came across with the disciples across the Sea of Galilee, and, um, and there when they, when they landed, they encountered this demon-possessed man who was possessed by a legion of demons um, uh, and was tormented and all the rest of that. Um, Jesus set him free. Uh, the, the demons asked to be cast into a herd of pigs. Jesus obliged them and sent them into the pigs and they quickly went and then just destroyed themselves by rushing the pigs into the lake and all dying. So uh, just showing the, the destructiveness of evil in, in this world, that, that there is no care for, for anything. And, and to also show the torment that this poor man had been going through for the years of his life that he was uh, possessed by these demons. And you remember what happened that the people who were looking after the pigs went to the surrounding cities in the Decapolis, and these people came out to see Jesus, to hear what had happened, to see for themselves what had gone on. And when they saw, when they got there, they saw Jesus with this man who had been living naked in the tombs, who was throughout the day and night screaming and crying out that they had tried to bind with chains and shackles, iron chains and shackles, and he was able to break free from those. He was cut and bleeding and everything. They came and found this man with Jesus, dressed and in a sound mind. And what was their response? Did they all leap for joy? Praise God and, and thank Jesus for coming and rescuing them and this man. No. They said, you better leave. Their, their fear of this man who was able to control something that they had never been able to control. They figured, better the demon that we do know rather than the devil that we don't. The one that we can't control. If, that's, if, if Jesus can control that which we could never control, we don't want Him around here. And so they sent Him away. And when Jesus left, the man who was demon-possessed said, take me with you. I, I want to be with you. I want to learn from you. You've, you've totally set me free and changed my life. Jesus said, no. I want you to go back. I want you to go and tell your families and your friends all that the Lord has done for you. I can imagine for that man that would have been a disappointing thing. And yet, he was faithful. He followed what Jesus said. And here in this passage, we see the fruit of this man's testimony. Let's read from uh, Mark chapter 8 and verse 1. We're going to read the first nine verses here. Mark chapter 8. In those days, and that's just tying that back in that Jesus, the passage before was talking about how Jesus was in the area of the Decapolis 
and had um, healed a man who was deaf. And so still in this area, in those days, there in the Decapolis, when again a great crowd had gathered, all of the people that had heard from the demon-possessed man about this Jesus and had seen the change in him, they were now coming. This great crowd had gathered. But they had nothing to eat. So Jesus called His disciples to Him and said, I have compassion on this crowd because they have been with Me now for three days and have nothing anymore to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from very far away. And His disciples answered Him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? So Jesus asked them, well, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And He directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And He took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, He broke them and gave them to His disciples to set before the people. And they then set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, He said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. So Jesus sent them away. And immediately he got up into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of the Dalmanutha. Lord, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for what it teaches us, the way that it reveals Jesus' plan and purpose for all of humanity, that all would be rescued by him and saved from our sin. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be speaking to us today. Show us what You want for us to learn. Father, we, we come before You willing to be challenged. Willing to be corrected. Willing to be shaped and molded into the men and women that You are calling us to be. Would You do that good work in our hearts here this morning? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Does the story sound a little familiar? It should. Because it, is, it, 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 it matches in many ways something that happened back in chapter 6 of Mark. Where Jesus, again, coming into a desolate place where He had, had gone with His disciples across the Sea of Galilee to try and get away from the crowds that they could have a little bit of time to debrief the, the work that the disciples had been doing uh, when they had been sent out two by two to be able to proclaim and to set people free from demons and heal and all that kind of stuff. Jesus wanted to take some time with His disciples to go and, and debrief all of that. But, but when they got to the other side, there was this huge crowd again. And Jesus, having compassion on them, began to teach and began to heal. 
And again, there in this desolate place, uh, these people far from any source from food, the disciples come to Jesus and say, Jesus, you've got to let these folks go. They're going to be hungry. We've got nothing to feed them. Let them go and find some food. And what did Jesus say? Why don't you feed them? Remember that marvelous challenge that Jesus offered to His disciples after they had just seen the power of God and they, were, they had come back to Jesus and were so excited about all the things that God had done through them, how they had seen the, 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 the demon-possessed set free, how they had seen people healed, and they were so excited about the way that God had worked through them. And Jesus gave them this opportunity to go it, to take it a step further to see how God would, would provide for them no matter what the circumstances, no matter how inadequately prepared they would be, that God would provide them with everything that they need for supplying those folks that were there that were hungry. And they said, <laughs> we can't do that. We don't have enough stuff. This wonderful chance that Jesus was getting them. And their vision was too small. Their faith wasn't big enough to be able to trust that Jesus wouldn't ask them or call them to something that He wouldn't then also supply and equip them for. So then Jesus said, what have you have for food? He said, we've only got the the five loaves and a couple of fishes. Jesus blessed that. That that just happened. Probably, you know, Mark isn't necessarily chronologically ordered. Um, uh, so it, it could have been anywhere from a couple of months ago, possibly at the most a couple of years maybe, that that event happened. The difference between that feeding of the 5,000, and this feeding of the 4,000. But there are some, some, some marked similarities between these two stories. So much so that some people have suggested, some scholars have suggested that this is actually two, uh, two different descriptions of the exact same event. But, but even with those stark similarities, there are also some very real differences between the two. Primarily, the location. See, Jesus fed the 5,000 in the Jewish predominantly area. That He was providing the food. He, was, he, he then went to teach about how, how uh, 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 Moses through God, brought bread from heaven that, that was supplied for all of the people. Jesus was connecting Himself as the, the bread of heaven for the people, the salvation for their souls there for the Jewish people, and they would have made all of those connections. That was for the Jewish people. Now Jesus goes and does the almost the exact same miracle. But who is this for? For us, for the Gentiles, you and me, those that, that don't have that, that Jewish heritage. And, and look at, at some of the differences that are here. The, uh, 
the, the one number that, is, that, that I think is significant. You remember, how many baskets did they have left over from feeding of the 5,000? Twelve. What does that make you think of? The tribes of Israel. Absolutely. That here God is providing enough so that, that all of the people were, could eat and were satisfied. And there was yet even more left over, enough for all of the twelve tribes of, of, of Israel. In this story, how many baskets are left over? Seven. Seven is the number of completion, of perfection. Seven days of the week that God in, in, his, in his power created everything in six days and then on the seventh day he rested. That when we get into some of the, the apocalyptic um, uh, passages that, that talk, there's, there's a lot of uh, number symbol, uh, symbolism that goes on in there. And, and, and time and time again, we're going to see uh, this number seven, this, this number of perfection. How many letters were written in Revelation to the churches? Seven letters to the seven churches. All of these different places that, that, that come back again that help us to understand that seven is a number of completion, of fullness. Here in, in the feeding of the 5,000, there was enough left over for the 12 tribes of Israel. In this, in feeding of the 4,000, there's enough for everyone. There's enough for all of the nations, for all of the people of the earth. What a glorious picture that Jesus has. There's, an, there's a bunch of other kind of differences that you, you might not catch up on if you aren't reading this in Greek. Some of the different words that are being used. In the feeding of the 5,000, the baskets that are, the, the word for baskets that, that's being used there um, was, was a, a description of a Jewish basket for carrying food. Some people uh, identify them as, as beggars' baskets as well, but they were uh, the the word, and I, I do I have the word written down? I do. Oh, good for me. It's a uh, uh, kofinon. Kofinon was a basket that was woven that had a very narrow top and a more wide base to it that sat uh, very well, and and so it was often used by beggars. It would be, sit out in front of them while they were asking for, for uh, handouts and all that kind of stuff, and people would drop in there, and it was a nice and easy thing to be able to do. The baskets that are being described here in the feeding of the 4,000 are a very different basket. They are a wicker basket that have the narrow base and the wide mouth. The Greek word is spiritus. Um, and this was traditionally more of a Gentile. It was, it was a ba this was a word that was used to describe the kind of baskets that came out of the Greek and the Roman world, not out of the Jewish. There was a, a different style to their kinds of baskets. So again, in this we see that feeding of the 5,000 geared towards the Jews. Feeding of the 4,000 geared towards the Gentiles, the Greeks, and those outside of the Jewish nation. In, in the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus blesses the food, the bread and the fishes. 
the Greek word that's being used is eulogemenon. <laughs> Let me try that again. Eulogemenon, which we get eulogy out of. Good words about, good words towards, that, that this was a, a, a blessing. And, and, and it's, it, it's the same picture that we have of the priests as they blessed the people of Israel in all of the different rituals and feasts and all those kinds of things. That, that this is the same kind of idea that Jesus, in that position as high priest over the people of Israel, speaks this blessing over the food as he's about to provide for uh, the people of Israel. In the feeding of the 4,000, what does Jesus do? He gives thanks for the food. The word that is used there is eucharistin. Some of you that maybe have a, 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 a high church background, Catholic or Anglican, might recognize that as the Eucharist. Same root word that's being used, the, the communion. This is, is very much more of a Christian church kind of a setting. So in the feeding of the 5,000, we have a, a picture of the temple of the priest blessing the people. Here in the feeding of the 4,000, we have a picture of the church receiving the grace of God through the gift of the bread and the wine. <laughs> Mark is trying to help us understand that Jesus' ministry is not just, Jesus' message is not just for the Jewish people. Jesus is making this declaration that it is for all nations. Um, Marcus mentioned about setting free the captives here today. Um, that's this uh, the, the picture of Jesus in, in verse 9 here of, of chapter 8, talking about feeding of the 4,000. Mark records, and there were about 4,000 people. And then Jesus sent them away, is what my ESV says. The word that is being used, or the Greek word that's being used there, is actually more about setting free, about liberating. <laughs> Jesus provides for their physical needs. He provides the bread from heaven for all the nations. And then He set them free, liberated them. What a beautiful picture of our Lord caring for us, loving us. And in the midst of it all, we've got these disciples who have no clue. The similarities are, are so blaring, glaring. It, again, I, we don't know exactly how much time has passed here from the feeding of the 4,000, but the, it's only a, a chapter and a half over. Probably was within a couple of months, maybe as much as a year. At the outside, year and a half, maybe two years. But here we have almost the exact same situation. They're in a desolate place. 
The people have been with them. In feeding of the 5,000, the people had been them with just a day. This in the feeding of the 4,000, Jesus says that they've been with me now for three days. The persistence and the determination of these people to be able to hear from Jesus. So they're in this desolate place. There's no food available. And Jesus then says to His disciples, I have compassion. How can we feed these people? Don't you think there would have been something that would have clicked in your head to go, I've seen this before. I've heard this before. We blew it that first time. Here's our chance to get it right. I, I, I almost guarantee you that, that after Jesus did that miracle, and they recognized how He had given them an opportunity to participate in this, in this glorious uh, uh, provision for the people of Israel there, the, these, this 5,000 crowd, that they said, next time, I'm going to be ready. I'm going to take that opportunity when Jesus gives it to me. And yet, here they are, exact same situation, almost exact same situation, Jesus giving them again an opportunity. It wasn't even just leaving it open to, to see if somebody would come up with the idea. He actually says, I have compassion. He's expressing His care and concern for these people. And says, how can we feed them? And what do they say? It's impossible. Nobody could have enough food to feed this whole crowd. Oh, guys. Come on. You're so close. What was it about this situation that blinded the disciples from this new opportunity for them to partner with Jesus? To see this miraculous work happen in their lives and, and, and to, to set people free. Oh, my daughter's got to go. Okay, back to school. What was it about this situation that, that blinded them from the fact that Jesus wanted to again do this miraculous thing? As I've looked at it, I think the only thing was that they were so blinded by their, by their traditions that, that salvation was only for the Jews. That they never even thought that Jesus would do the same miracle for the Gentiles. Even after they had, they had seen Jesus minister and, and, and do miraculous things for, for Gentiles in their journey up through Tyre and Sidon and down into the Decapolis. They had seen Jesus uh, set a, a young girl free at the request of, of her mother who, who, who was the only one who really understood the parables that Jesus was proclaiming. That even after they saw this deaf man be released from his deafness, that Jesus healed him, and how the whole countryside was proclaiming the wonders of Jesus' miracles. They still were blind to the fact that Jesus' message 
was for the Gentiles, for all the nations, for all people. And as I thought through that, made me ask the question, what blinders do I have? Who are the people that I don't think God would ever be able to rescue, to set free, to liberate, to provide for? There have been times in my life when I have been surprised by the people that Jesus has chosen to rescue. When I was a kid, there was a guy in our, in our area. He was actually older, uh, the same age as my older brother. So he was, what, three, three or four years older than I was. Um, but he was a bit of a rabble rouser. Uh, he got into, into trouble quite a bit. Um, it wasn't a it wasn't a, a mean and, and and vengeful kind of a person, uh, but he liked to have fun, and oftentimes his having fun would get him into trouble. Um, actually, got him in trouble with the law. At one point, he actually had to do community service at our church, doing yard work and stuff, because uh, that's the way that he was paying off some of his debt to society. Um, not somebody that I would have ever thought that Jesus wanted to rescue. He just was making life choices that were very different from the kind of life that I had set out before us, that all of the people that I knew, all of the, the good Christian people, weren't doing any of the things that He was doing. And I never thought that God would reach out to Him. And yet He tells the story about how He was going through this turmoil in his heart. That there was, there was this longing for something more. And, and he was passing by the church and the Holy Spirit grabbed his heart and said, that's a place where you're going to find some answers. And he came into the office totally... Uh, unpretentious, no expectations, came in and said, I need help. Sat down with the associate pastor, John Newfield, that was there. And John took him through a presentation of the gospel. And in that moment, Taryn's heart was transformed. And, and it wasn't just one of those kind of Oh, he's a Christian now and started going to church. This was a radical transformation. He, he started writing worship songs and asking if he could play them in our church. And so in the service, we would have Darren sitting up up there with his guitar singing these songs, these marvelous praise songs of, of, of Jesus rescuing in his life. He became an evangelist where he was telling all of his friends about the difference that Jesus had made in his life. You'll never guess where Darren is today. He's the pastor of that church. <laughs> that church that he came into without any expectations, any understanding. He's, he's been serving there for uh, 
I think it's close to 15 years now that he has been uh, the, the lead pastor in this church. What a ministry he has, right? Because he grew up in this community, in this neighborhood. He knows all of those guys that, that were rabble-rousers with him that are still living in that area. And he has this wonderful opportunity of telling of how Jesus has made a difference in his life. If Jesus would have depended on me to be able to identify who needed to be saved in our neighborhood, Darren wouldn't have ever been on that list. Who are the people that you that you have blinders towards. It's not like you have animosity towards them at all. It just never even crossed your mind that maybe Jesus would want to reach out to that person. To those kinds of people. To that part of our population, of those in our neighborhood. And we've never even given them an opportunity just like the disciples, we have seen Jesus do miraculous transformations before, but it never even crossed our minds to think that it might be for that one, too. Oh. We need God's help. We need the Holy Spirit to be able to help us strip away those blinders. To, to, to look past those, those expectations, those, those ideas that we have of who are the right people to come into church. We need to be open and ready for the Lord to be able to lead us into the lives of those people that He is calling. I've got good news. Because just like God wasn't waiting for me to rescue Darren, Jesus wasn't just dependent on the disciples to actually step up to the plate and to participate. He, he still included them. Did you notice that in the passage? Verse 6. And he directed the crowd to sit on the ground and he took the seven loaves and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. That even in our blindness, even in our hard-heartedness, even when we totally miss what Jesus is trying to do, he still brings us in and uses us anyway. It gives us the privilege of being able to, to partner with Him. That I had the opportunity to be able to, to build a real friendship with Darren and see the transformation and to witness the miraculous rebirth that was happening in Darren's life. Our blinders don't disqualify us. But can you imagine... Can you imagine the joy if we actually took the risk? If 
We actually stepped out of our comfort zone. Even in the light of the fact that that we don't have the resources, we don't have all the things that it's going to take to be able to see this person a miraculous change happen in their life. Uh, that that uh, the 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 need is way too big. There's no way that I would be able to to supply the needs of all of the homeless people in our community. There's no way that I would be able to to help with the the the, the school project, the school sponsorship project that that Sharmila is doing there in Tanzania with with the huge need, all of the kids that need help in getting into that school to to, to get the supplies that they need for school. There's no way that I would be able to to have an impact on this community that has been for generations tied up and held captive in in new age new age mysticism and and philosophy that, that there's no way that I could have what it takes to reach out to those people. It's not about what you have. It's about what Jesus can do. When you lay those seven loaves in his hands, those few fish, and allow him to bless them, to give thanks, to break them, and then to accomplish his miracle. Can you imagine what it would have been like for the disciples to actually have stepped up to the plate and said, I'm going to do this. Lord, thank You for this food. Let's break this and let's feed this crowd with this little bit that we've got. Can you imagine the joy that we as a church family would have if we said with abandon, Lord, this this community, this Oceanside region needs You. And we're going to go out and tell as many people as we can We'll never fit them in this room. It's not about how much room we've got. When we trust God, He takes that little that we have and uses it to accomplish something massive beyond anything that we would have been able to ask or imagine. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I need to confess that that my eyes are so often blinded by my limitations, by the blocks that I put up and miss the miracles that You want to accomplish. Lord, I need Your help. We need Your help be able to identify those blinders, to to strip them away. That You would grow that faith that's in our heart, that that we would take those risks of faith. Stepping out of anything that we have the resources or ability to be able to do. And in faith, trust that You have no limits. That You have no boundaries. And that You have a work to do in our lives, in our families, in our neighborhoods, 
in our region, in our province, in our nation, in our world. And you're calling us to step out and to be faithful to your to your invitation to be a part of that transformation. Lord, I'm standing here today to say yes. I want to be a part of that, God. I don't want just the status quo. I don't want to just be happy, to be satisfied, content with the, the, the little that we're able to accomplish on our own. Lord, I, I want to see Your miracles. I want to see Your floodgates open. I want to see You pour out Your power and Your transformation in our lives and in our region. So I commit to to allowing Your Spirit to pull away those blinders. To guide me into those places where it's uncomfortable. To have those conversations that are awkward. And allow Your Spirit to transform people's lives. For Your glory. For the building of Your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.